Hi everyone, uh, my name's Marie Claire and I'm here today for Ed Talks UK hosting a podcast with Michael Gray. And uh, hello Michael. Hello. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us what your role is at Hearts for Learning? Yes, so I'm Michael. Um, I'm a, a primary English teaching and learning advisor at Hearts for Learning. Um, so I work with the primary English team and I focus on English in schools and support them to um, improve the teaching and learning of English within their schools and lead training courses and things like that. Fantastic. And you're here today to speak about something that I know is really important to you. And what are you going to be speaking to us today about? So we're, I'm here today to talk about um, really the importance of using LGBTQ literature in primary schools. Um, as someone who is gay and didn't have that experience when I was at school, I think it's something that I've become um, increasingly aware of in the last couple of years, really, and something which I think is is changing, but we need to be more aware of and do more about it within schools. And that's what I'm really trying to promote at the moment as one of the things through my work. Fantastic. And what um, what were your experiences of literature at school? Well, when I was at primary school and secondary school, there was no like, well, very little diverse literature in general, but in terms of LGBT literature, there was none, full stop, there was nothing. Um, mostly down to section 28, really, which was in place at the time. Um, and that prevented there, there being anything like that, which, you know, ha obviously had quite a profound effect on thousands and thousands of people, I'm sure, over that period of time. Yeah, of course. And I mean, section 28 is obviously no longer a thing. Um, so would yes. you be able to explain for those of us who maybe haven't had experience of it what Section 28 was? So Section 28 was a piece of legislation brought about by Margaret Thatcher's government in the 1980s, late 1980s actually, um, which I've got um, a quote of what it actually said. It, um, uh, it said that schools shall not promote um, the acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. And basically what that meant was that schools weren't allowed to talk about homosexuality at all. Um, and that was in place all the way until 2003 when it was finally repealed. And for me, basically that was the entirety of my schooling. I went to school in the 1990s and early noughties and I did my GCSEs in 2003. So by that point, you know, the, the kind of the damage was done. Um, and so, yes, that meant that schools legally, teachers were, were scared. They weren't allowed to talk about gay people, essentially. That just wasn't allowed to happen because for whatever reason and the powers that be thought that it was a negative thing to, to talk about that to children um, and to promote that um, as if, or almost as if really that, you know, they were thinking that um, people might be persuaded to be gay, which obviously isn't a thing. Um, you either are or you aren't, and not having that doesn't mean that that stopped people from being gay. It just made the whole experience of growing up much more difficult than it needed to be. Yeah, I can imagine. And then um, the, the language that's used in the legislation was horrible. You know, that idea of a pretended mm. family relationship. It's totally othering people. Yes, um, yes. And, and what impact did that have on you personally and also on LGBTQ people throughout that period? So I think for me, it meant that although, I mean, I can think right back to when I was very little and I can always remember feeling abnormal in some way. I can always remember feeling, you know, different somehow. 
But because I had no exposure to it through literature, through education, through anything of different family relationships, I didn't know what being gay was. I didn't know that was a thing until probably I was well into my secondary school years. Um, so I had no chance to explore how I was feeling. I didn't have the vocabulary to kind of, you know, try and articulate how I was feeling. Um, and so when I was, you know, when I finally realised that I was gay, probably in my late teenage years, you know, it led to me, want, you know, hating myself, feeling abnormal, wanting to hide it. I remember distinctly, you know, wishing that I was just normal, for want of a better word. Um, and I think that's why now we do really need to kind of usualise through text, through education, through everything we do in schools, usualise those differing sexualities, genders, things like that, because people shouldn't have to go through their school life, through their formative years, feeling abnormal and different to the rest of society because that's just not fair. Yeah, absolutely. And I noticed that you use the word usualise there and, and normal. Um, could you explain a little bit about the difference between those two and why the word usualise is important for you? So I think the word normal, or I, I describe myself as feeling abnormal when I was younger, and I think that is genuinely how I felt at the time. I, I felt like almost as if something was wrong with me. I was abnormal. And I think when I'm talking about actually I want to usualise genders and sexualities, family structures, things like that within schools, it's to make all these different elements of society, all these different people, different families, usual to everyone. Because I think if you use the word normal, it's suggesting that there is something which is abnormal. And I think that's what we need to get away from is there shouldn't be anything which is abnormal. Children will come from all sorts of different backgrounds. You know, there'll be there'll be single parent families, there'll be parents, there'll be children from single sex parent families. Um, there'll be all sorts of different family constructs and and things like that. And I think we need to usualise all of these people and make everybody feel like part of society where nobody is normal or abnormal. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I. I'm a single parent actually and um, yeah I, I see that quite a lot because I wonder how my family situation is being represented to my son in primary school and um, so yeah absolutely I think it's important that all manner of family setups are acknowledged um, excellent okay so why do you think the the focus should be on books you know why, why is that um, so important in making a difference here well, I think books are central to any school and, you know, as, as a good school, as a good teacher, you try and put books at the centre of your curriculum. Um, Professor Rudine Sims Bishop has done a lot of work on books and how important they are to children and to give them um, like social cues almost about society. And she said, I'm going to quote here, that books are sometimes windows offering views of worlds that may be real or imagined, familiar or strange. These windows are also sliding glass doors and readers have only to walk through an imagination to become part of whatever world has been created or recreated by the author. When lighting conditions are just right, however, a window can also be a mirror. Literature transforms human experience and reflects it back to us. And in that reflection, we can see our own lives and experiences as part of the larger human experience. Reading then becomes a means of self-affirmation and readers often seek their mirrors in books. So basically what she's saying is that um, we want to give children through literature, through books, the 
the ability to be able to see their lives and their realities reflected back at them because that makes them feel valued. And that's something that for me, I never had until recently, actually in, in the first lockdown in March 2020, March, April time 2020. And I read a book um, just for pleasure. It was nothing to do with work at all. I'm um, called The Binding by Bridget Collins. And it's the very first time ever that I'd read a book which contained two gay characters. And I didn't know that was going to happen. That was not on the blurb at the back. It was not the reason I bought the book. Um, and I could kind of see it coming. And then it did. And then I thought, oh, my goodness, this is like the first time I've ever seen this. And I never it had never occurred to me to seek books out with gay characters in at all because it just didn't seem important. I'd never had that experience when I was younger. It didn't seem important to me now. It just had never really crossed my mind. Um, but it really made me think, and that's how kind of my interest in this all started really, because it really made me think, actually, I can see myself in that book. And that happened for the first time when I was like in my 30s. Um, and I think it's so important that we give children the opportunity to see that much earlier on. Um, I mean, Rudine Sims Bishop goes on to say that when children cannot find themselves reflected in the books they read, or when the images they see are distorted, negative or laughable, they learn a powerful lesson about how they are devalued in the society of which they are a part. So I think that's really powerful, isn't it? Because I can think back to my childhood and think how I never saw any representation of who I was at all in early literature whatsoever. And perhaps that contributed to my feelings of feeling abnormal as being, you know, separate from the rest of society almost. Um, and probably led to more bullying as well. You know, I was bullied as a child. I know many, many, many people who were bullied far worse than I was. Um, and actually, these books could be a form of education for others as well as for people to be able to see themselves in those books. Um, and I think for, you know, when you were talking about you're a single parent, you know, earlier on, actually having books that represent single parent families and things like that, as well as LGBTQ, as well as the BAME community, all of these things, the whole, you know, spectrum of diversity, we need to represent everybody within these books that it can be usualized so that children can see that families are different, people are all different, nothing is to be afraid of, nothing is to be scared of there, um, but it all needs to be represented so children can open their eyes and see what's going on. Absolutely, um, I love that quotation about the, the mirrors as well. Um, I know that uh, Jacques Lacan does the, he has a paper about the mirror stage being formative for infant children and how the first time that a, a you know, a six month old baby recognises themselves in a mirror and realises that, you know, they, they're, a, they're a thing, <laughs> they're an object, you know, and, and how their arms work and their legs work and things like that. And, um, you know, it's, it's so important that literature provides more and more of those mirrors, I think, as, as children Absolutely. grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I, I think it's something that schools in general are beginning to get better at. They're kind of hooking onto this idea of including my, more diversity within books. But I think it's very, very recent even now. Um, and it's definitely something we need to do much more of. Absolutely. And it's, it's good to see kind of um, pop culture references mm. changing as well. You know, absolutely. We've, we've had discussions about television and things like that. Yeah. You know, more more and more recently, there have been series where you know a, a a gay relationship is is not seen as an unhealthy thing. There's so few representations of 
these relationships that are actually healthy. Um, so it's it's been lovely to see that improving as well. Um, and and for you, which which children's books would you recommend? You know, are there many children's books out there that do depict LGBTQ plus characters? There are more each year. This year seems to have been quite a good year. I think there seem to have been quite a few which I could pick up on this year, um, which are lovely, lovely, you know, age-appropriate books for children to be able to look at and to, um, you know, to, to investigate and explore these kinds of characters. However, there still aren't enough, I would argue. Um, in 2017, the Cooperative Children's Book Centre, which is part of the research library of the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Education. And they did a bit of a study um, looking at the number of children's books that showed any kind of LGBTQ plus or gender representation. Um, now the caveat is this is in the US and it was a few years ago now, so things are probably different, but I think it gives a good kind of a, a sample of where we were then. And their statistics showed that less than 4% of children's literature included any considerable content on LGBTQ plus themes. Um, so very, very little in 2017 in the US. And I think we do need to just keep that in our minds. That is there then at that particular time. I think here now it is more than that, but probably still not in huge numbers, to be perfectly honest. Out of all the children's literature that is published every year, probably a very, very small minority actually contains any kind of LGBTQ plus, you know, characters or themes, but it is improving. I'm sure it's improving. And and do you think that, that things are better now than they were, for example, when you were at school yourself? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, there's far more literature, as, as I was just saying, now than there was. I mean, back when I was at school, there was none full stop. So anything is better than that. Um, and I think it's also important to consider how far we've come in actually a really short space of time. When I was an NQT in 2010, gay marriage wasn't legal. Section 28 had only been repealed for seven years before that. Um, and there was no LGBT literature to speak of in schools at all. Um, since then, gay marriage has become legal. Um, and it's almost as if, you know, there's a whole debate about that back then. It was, it was quite a controversial thing. And we forget that that was because for me anyway, we kind of accept it, don't we? Um, Section 28 is increasingly becoming part of distant history, although I think it does still have a legacy. Um, and I think that's something which we need to try and actively combat. Um, and as we were saying earlier, you know, there is far more representation in terms of television and films and things like that now. You know, you, it, it's not uncommon to come across gay characters in television shows and things like that. Whereas back in the early noughties, it was, you know, I remember, I think, watching The Bill had one gay character, and that was basically <laughs> the only reason I watched The Bill, um, um, because that was all there was. There was nothing else. That was the only thing I had to latch on to, yeah. um, whereas now there's far more, far, far more. It's, it's so funny when we think that, you know, remember how shocking it was that Brookside had a lesbian kiss. Yeah. But, you know, I can remember that, and I remember it, you know, causing ripples, um, whereas now, uh, there is far more representation, I feel. You know, you, you probably wouldn't have the same reaction. Um, exactly, exactly. You know, it's quite commonplace now, wasn't it? Yeah. There was a detective series recently on television with um, the, the main character, the main detective, was in a gay relationship. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that's, I mean, that was groundbreaking, as to my knowledge, that's the first kind of time that's happened. But it's so nice to see these things coming up 
that actually there's less and less of a big deal being made of it. And I think more generally in terms of diversity, I watched Strictly over the weekend and there was, did you see Rose and Giovanni's dance? Yeah. Um, where, which had the silent section in to highlight like the awareness of the deaf community. Mm-hmm. I mean, I thought that was really fantastic. And I think actually made me think in schools, actually, there will be deaf children. You know, how many teachers can sign? How, you know, how do we accommodate those children? Do we have books and literature which talk about deaf people? You know, so it's not just LGBT people. It's a whole spectrum of all sorts of people that I think we need to be far better at. Yeah, and we, we do need to provide more of those mirrors, don't we? Um, Absolutely. For, for the children in our class, even neurodiversity as well, you know, the increasing increasing uh, mix of children in our classes as well, you know, there's, yes. there's far far less um, segmentation of children out of mainstream classes. So, you know, it's important to provide literature that does show people themselves. And we've spoken a lot today about how important it is for the LGBTQ plus community to be represented in books, particularly from a young age. Um, I know that Hearts for Learning are hosting a primary English conference in January, um, and the focus of that event is going to be on diversity and diverse representation within books. Would you be able to tell us a little bit more about that? So yes, this should be a fantastic event. We've got some brilliant speakers who are coming to speak to us at this conference, including the Right Honourable Stuart Lawrence, um, who obviously is going to be absolutely amazing to speak to us, um, uh, which you know I'm really looking forward to. We also have someone called Andrew Moffat, who is a teacher at Parkfield Community School in Birmingham. Um, he's the author of the No Outsiders Project, which you may well have heard of. Um, and if you remember a few years ago, there were some big protests in um, Birmingham around that project, which talks about equality. Um, and there were some big protests, but he's gone from strength to strength with that work, which is massively popular. So I'm really excited that he's able to talk to us. We've also got a range of speakers coming from in schools to talk about what um, they've been doing. And I'm going to be sharing um, some work which... Um, based on a plan which I put together based on the book um, And Tango Makes Three, um, which is about two male penguins who adopt an egg based on a real story set in New York Zoo. Um, And I created a whole school plan, um, which many of our schools in Hertfordshire have been using. And I'm really looking forward to sharing some of the outcomes from that. So there's going to be a whole range of different speakers um, and we're going to have a lot of learning that day, but it should be really, really exciting. That's fabulous. And how can our listeners find out more about that event? And more importantly, how can we book? So they can visit the events section of the Hearts for Learning website um, and they can follow social media as well. Facebook at HFL Primary English or on Twitter at Hearts English, where they can stay up to date with the news about the event. Excellent. I um, am part of the team that's hosting the event and I'm really looking forward to um, hearing everybody speaking. It's a fantastic lineup. Um, so <laughs> it's it's looking like it's going to be a really good day for for everyone involved, I think. Okay, Absolutely. Well, thank you wait. very much, Michael. It's been thank a you. real pleasure chatting to you today and um, yeah, all the best. Perfect. Thank you very thank much. You. Lovely to talk to you. So all that's left to say really is thank you so much for joining us today and for listening to this Ed Talks UK podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.